Uh, we are doing a special series called Groundwork. If you have not been here, um, we are in several weeks into this now, and the, the thought process here on Groundwork was that it was a, a series that would begin the year out, and, and we would start to try to change together. Because if you're like me, every December 31st, I make all these plans, all, all these hopes, all these dreams, and by February, they've always unwound on me. And I have to tell you, at least in my own life, you guys doing this with me has helped me. Um, there are changes going on. I'm going to talk to them about them in my own life when we get to the end of the series. But there have been changes in my own life because we're doing this together that I've been able to hold on to and incorporate in my life at deeper levels and longer periods of time than I have in the past. So the way we've been trying to do this is that everybody gets material. Did you get your material when you came in this morning? Who did, did not get handed a packet of material this morning? All right, Joni. Here's what you get. My wife is going to run in the back there, and she's going to get them. So keep your hand up. This is what happens. She's out there making you people coffee, and now she's handing you out stuff. <laughs> the life of a pastor's wife. She will, uh, she will get you the notes for this morning. The goal on these notes has been that we would build a notebook up, that we'd have a memory of this. So I'm giving you sermon notes every week so that you can write these things down, that you, you, you don't just forget them once you hear them. Then there's four devotions I'm writing every week on the topic, and I'm asking you if you would just spend 10 minutes... Ten minutes, four times a week, thinking through these areas. And this one, this week's is really important in terms of, of thought. There's a, there's a Bible memory verse I'm asking you to just memorize every week. You know, the thought being that as we hide God's word in our heart, we're changed. That has power to it and in it. So we've been asking you to memorize one verse a week related to these things. And I've been asking you, most importantly, to put goals down relative to some changes you'd like to see in your life in these areas. Week one, essentially, was if you don't put goals down, you will not change. We looked at the scriptural point of goals, that, that God himself has goals, that Jesus led a life led by goals, right? That we don't just float through life. So that's what's going on here. That's what this notebook is, is, is all about. That's been, what's been kind of behind this, is, is kind of deep transformation. That's what we're trying to do now. If you've been here, we've covered spiritual health, Spirit changes in our spiritual health, changes in our emotional health, changes in our financial health, changes in our physical health, and changes in our relational health. We've looked at those so far. Those notes are all available if you want to build your notebook. Those notes and probably the notebook covers, uh, if you don't have a notebook cover, is available for you at the Welcome Center. But today we're going to start, we're, there's only one of these that we're going to look at for two weeks. That's how important it is. There's only one of them that we're going to look at for two weeks. And really, it's the place where the Bible says that any change in your life, if you really do want to be different and not be the same old you and not get to next December gone, I can't believe I whittled another year off the calendar. The place where the Bible says that that change is going to occur. That's what we're looking at. In fact, if you've been with us from the beginning, you know the verse that kind of underlies the whole series. Again, it was in the notes at the beginning, Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let other people dictate for you who you are. But instead of being conformed, Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed. Be changed from the way that you were born. Be changed from the way everybody else is, the way everybody else thinks. Now, what's interesting is the, the Bible actually says how this happens. How does transformation happen? Romans 12, 2 goes on. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, that's a somewhat famous verse. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible, 
the Apostle Paul, who was, was uh, once a persecutor of the church, that Christ, Christ changed him, and he came to write most of what we know as the New Testament. Paul wrote that verse over 2,000 years ago. Be transformed that you can be changed, but the way you'll change is if something different happens in your brain. Yet, the most exciting thing that I've been learning about, maybe in the last six months, is that here we are 2,000 years later, and this, this Bible verse is becoming and made more alive, more relevant to our lives today because of what science is discovering than ever. It's incredible the validation of work that science is coming up for, for many biblical things, maybe bi many biblical areas, but maybe none more so than with this. How science is now showing that there are provable, provable methods for how to renew your mind. This is not just Paul blowing some spiritual smoke. Paul was way ahead of his time in terms of how you can change and how you can change the way you think. Now, if you want to study it yourself, you can go home today and Google the term neuroscience or, more specifically, neuroplasticity. Makes me feel so smart when I say neuroplasticity. I had never heard the term myself until about six months ago. And this stuff is absolutely fascinating what's going on. A lot of it driven by um, what MRIs can do with what happens in our brains given different things. Neuroplasticity is essentially, it's a catch-all term, and it refers to the neural pathways and the synapses in our brains and what happens to them due to changes in behavior, environment, thinking, emotions, even, even physical harm. Neuroplasticity replaced the formerly held position. The position used to be that the brain is essentially a physiologically static organ. It's born a certain way, and that's the way it will stay. Neuroplasticity is now coming along and saying, no, actually, the brain can change. It doesn't have to stay and think the same old way. What does the Bible say? Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Science is now telling us, you don't have to stay this way, and the way you will change is through the renewing of your mind. Now, some of the science is just proving things that we know. For example, if you have a teenager, you're going to know this one. Neuroplasticity has discovered this in the last few years. You know, if you've got a kid, that there has been a time or two, or 150 of them, where you looked at them and the mess they've gotten themselves into and the poor choices, the decisions they've made, and everything is blowing up around them, and you've looked at them and you said, what were you? Or as my father used to say to me on a regular basis, and I didn't realize it was offensive until I said it to my wife when we were dating, what do you have rocks in your head? Which is essentially my dad's version of what were you thinking? But research into the teenage brains made it clear that the human brain isn't really fully developed within people until, listen to this, until they're well into their 20s. See, people used to think that the teenage brain was just like an adult brain, but kind of fresh, you know what I mean? It hadn't, hadn't been beaten down. But what they're realizing now is that the brain really isn't even complete until you're sometime in your 20s. The frontal lobe, right, here I'll give you a little definition. It's the frontal lobe, which is associated with choosing and decision-making, as well as impulse control and emotional management, are not fully connected. They lack the myelin coding that allows efficient communication between one part of the brain and another. So the answer to your question, mom and dad, is when they were thinking, what were they thinking? They weren't thinking. 
Their brains don't work like that yet. They don't have the ability to control those things the way that somebody in their 30s and their 40s does. And, you know, this is just interesting from a spiritual perspective, right? For those of you that are parents to the prodigal child. It's the science, in a sense, behind the Bible verse. Train up a child in the way it should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Interesting. Now, for us as believers, the science work here is really groundbreaking, talking about groundwork, because we can, in a sense, learn to do what Paul said. Paul says, in a sense, learn to control your minds. See, the the brain can become for us an organ that we can bring some control and mastery over. And by the way, the Bible talks about that too. You'll see in a minute. One of the foremost researchers in this field of neurology is is a guy named Andrew Newberg. He's director of research at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. He's done empirical studies on brain functioning among a variety of spiritual, spiritual, in a variety of spiritual practitions, ranging from Catholic nuns that were engaging in centering prayer to Pentecostals praying in tongues. Repeatedly, for instance, neuroscience shows, this is fascinating, repeatedly, neuroscience shows that prayer, this was in, uh, I think it was in Time Magazine, a whole study on this, neuroscience shows that prayer makes a noticeable difference in the physiological functioning of the brain. According to Newberg, as you grow spiritually, as you change your beliefs, as you enhance your sense of compassion, for instance, this affects your brain. Going to Guatemala and walking amongst the poorest of the poor and seeing that changed my mind because it changed my brain. He went on, if you practice prayer a lot, for example, the data shows that these practices actually change your brain over time. Is that not the coolest thing? He says, we did a study on meditation practice and found several things among people who had never meditated before. When they added meditation to their practices, such as focusing on a passage of scripture, we saw significant changes in brain functioning. Specifically, we saw increased activity in the frontal lobes, one of the areas in the brain which is involved with compassion and positive emotions, and there were changes in the thalamus, the part of our brain that helps us interconnect, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can be different because you can have your brains changed. And the scripture seems to say that you control part of that process. That you are not just, you know, you are not just at the the willy-nilly of what your brain is saying to you. Now, let me be clear. You are not, you are not just your brain. You have a spirit and a soul, and they have the power to control your brain. You are a human being, not merely a brain. Your brain functions within you just like your heart functions within you, like your kidney functions within you. No one has ever seen a thought or seen an idea or seen a choice. A neuron firing isn't the same thing as a thought. But it turns out that thoughts can be controlled, which we're going to see in a minute. A brain is a thing. A human being is a person. I love this. God doesn't have a brain. You realize that? If you call God brainless, you're not insulting him. God doesn't have a brain, but Dallas Willard used to say he's never missed it at all. Because you are not just your brain. You have the power to control what you're thinking. And we're going to see how important that is. Now, next week, you should come back for this next week, because next week we're going to look more at the science of this, more about the brain transformation, about the changes, how to make these changes uh, scientifically. Um, it's going to be a very cool thing where you're going to have some pictures of what's going on in your head. It's a pretty, pretty cool thing. 
But first, today, I want to talk about how important your mind is, how critical the Bible teaches the way you think is. And the second is some practical steps to the process of renewing your brain. And next week, we'll show how these steps connect to, to science, how, we can, how if you do these steps, what's actually going to go on in your head. So take out your notes, and we're going to start today with trying to bring some understanding to the serious significance of why your mind matters. The Bible says your mind matters. Point number one, my mind matters a whole lot because my life is impacted more and more, excuse me, more by my thoughts than by my circumstances. My mind matters a whole lot because my life is impacted more by what I'm thinking than what I'm experiencing, more by my thoughts than my circumstances. Check out the brilliance of Scripture. Scripture has so much to say about the way we think. The brilliance of Proverbs 4.23. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Not by your income. Not by your success. Not by your relationships, your legacy, your bank account. Not by your children's successes, not even by your health for that matter. The Bible is very clear. It says your life is shaped by what you're thinking. Where your mind is, it matters. Maybe there is no more beautiful and scary and wonderful and horrifying verse in all of the scriptures than Proverbs 23.7. For as he, as a man or a woman, thinks within himself, so he is your thoughts matter so much and they run loose in your head like just wild horses the scripture says if you could control those things if you could change the way you think you'll become a new person see the underlying truth is this god is far more interested in changing your mind than he is in changing your circumstances Yet, what do we seek from God all the time? We never, who says, I need to get off with God because I need to change the way I think? No, we always go to God with a change in our circumstances. God, if you, if you would help me overcome this, God, if you would give me a little bit more money or, or some more food or so, some clothes, or, or God, if you would, you would fix my health or, or remove the pain and take away the sickness. I'm not saying God doesn't care about those things. He does care about those things. But he cares about you more. And what he's saying to you is, I'm not as concerned for you about your circumstances as I am with what you're thinking. Now, here's what science is teaching us about the way our minds work. And again, you're going to see it next week a little bit. But your mind is essentially, there's some ridiculous number of thoughts that's in the, in the stuff next week. Your mind is a ceaseless active fountain or stream. Thoughts just running through it at incredible levels from which your spiritual life is flowing. Your mind is just constantly thinking and processing. One way to think about your thoughts is, a writer described it this way, it's like a wire, and one thought after another is coming through. There's a theory, a series of thoughts unceasingly passing through your mind. You realize this is going on right now. Your mind is thinking, in, or these billions of things are running through it right now. You might be thinking as you take your notes out, okay, I need to get this point written down before, before they move that screen on. You know, these note cards are great. I should spend some more time looking at this stuff during the week. <laughs> See, when you laugh, I know it's true. <laughs> but I know what you're doing, right? Then you're looking at the cards and you're going, you know what, this writing's too small. If they really wanted me to read this stuff, they'd write it bigger. I don't even know why I'm bothering to write this stuff down. 
Why doesn't John just send me the notes? Then I don't have to worry about seeing over this guy's gigantic head in front of me. Man, this guy has a big head. My head's not that big. At least I don't think it is. Maybe it is, though. I wonder if the guy behind me is looking at my head and saying it's too big. Shoot, I should have washed my hair this morning. I hate being judged by people. See, this is why I hate coming to church, because I got this guy behind me judging me because my hair is greasy. I need to get better shampoo. So this doesn't happen anymore. But that shampoo costs so much money, and maybe if my husband would just make a little bit more money, I could afford to get better shampoo. And I wouldn't be sitting here this morning looking like a fool. But no, he's got to spend his money with golf and his buddies. I can't even get a half a bottle of decent shampoo. And so husbands, if you've ever walked out with your wives after church and said, what did you think of the sermon? They looked at you and said, you are a jerk. You know exactly what's going on. Because our brains are this ceaseless thing. It's all just firing through constantly. I, I, I know, I've, you know, I'm on Facebook. I got a lot of you guys as friends. And, and many people post all the time, I can't sleep. Why can't I just turn my brain off? It just keeps firing thoughts through there. Our thoughts control our lives. You're fighting with your husband because of fight. You ever have that experience where you're like, I'm not even sure why we're in a fight. <laughs> but I had this thing raging in my head before you opened your mouth. Our thoughts control our lives much more than our actual circumstances do. So Paul is saying very clearly that the patterns and characteristics of this flow through your mind, not your circumstances, not your situation, your thoughts determine the kind of existence you're going to experience. You want to be happy? Change the way you think. One of the great illustrations, uh, excuse me, one of the great illusions in our day is that lasting joy and happiness comes by changing external circumstances. But the truth is that flow in your brain, right, is never altered over any long period of time by changes in circumstances. You know this, right? You get a raise, you're happy for a week, and then what happened? You're not happy anymore. They did a study, a guy named Dr. Janoff Bullman. He took a, it was a, took a research. He took 22 people who had won the lottery. This is fascinating, okay? This is going to stick with you. He took 22 people who had won the lottery. And that, in our society, right, you hit the lottery, man. That's the jackpot. You're set. 22 people who had won the lottery. And within six months, they were at precisely the same happiness level as they had been at before they won the lottery. But get this. The study also included a group of 29 people who were in accidents and had become quadriplegic. And more extraordinary, within six months, this group was at the same happiness level as they were before they were injured. How fascinating is that? Your happiness, your life is not controlled by your circumstances. It's controlled by how you think. What's interesting about those folks, the, the quadriplegic population that they, they measured, what's more, they were more optimistic about their future prospects for happiness than the lottery winners were. We, if we get this one, it's a big deal. Instead of chasing after a change in circumstances. All over the long haul, circumstances, even dramatic ones by themselves, do not change the nature of the thoughts that th flow through your mind. You're, the, this will not make you happy. It is not what you're looking for. It, it's, a, it's a sham. It's a mirage. It's not what you're looking for. God is saying, Don't, I, I need to help you change your mind. Number two. Number two is, my mind is where the battle is won or lost. My mind, what I'm thinking about, is where the battle is won or lost. If you think about temptation in your life, 
bad decisions in your life. Think about our sin issues. Pride, lust, hatred, anger, fear, envy, worry. Where are all those things? In your mind. They don't exist outside of your head. Paul teaches in the first chapter of Romans that this is part and parcel of our broken condition. We were not created this way. This was not the way God meant us to to be and to live. But in our brokenness, when we fell away from God, when we chose to be God ourselves, back in the creation story and the fall of man, right? Check out what the Bible says happened because we, we, we kind of know the, the, the story of he was put out of the garden. But, but let me show you physiologically, in a sense, what happened to man. Romans 1.28. Furthermore, just as they didn't think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so they gave themselves over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So when we start walking away from God, the first thing that goes wrong is our mind, our brains, our thoughts. We start thinking the wrong way. They went from being, there were people that went from being connected to God, the source of truth and wisdom and life, to a depraved sense, to a depraved mind. It wasn't as if, notice the language, God did not give them a depraved mind. God just allowed them to live without him. In a sense, I'm turning you over, and this is what happens to us apart from God. What the scriptures teach is quite different, though. The scriptures teach that when we come to Jesus, when we reconnect to God through Jesus and his life begins to dwell within us, he starts to live through us. The Bible says that now, get this, is what the Bible teaches in Corinthians. The Bible says that you and I have the mind of Christ. There was a day when you had the old man, the flesh, the depraved mind, but now you're a new man and you have a new mind. You have the mind of Christ. Now, you want to see a Bible verse come to life for you? Understanding that? When God, in the fall, God handed us over, we had a depraved mind. When we come to Christ, we reconnect with God, we get the mind of Christ. Watch what Paul says in Romans 7, 22 to 23. He goes, I love to do God's will, so far as my new nature is concerned. But there's something else deep within me that is at war with who? My mind. And it wins the fight. Because the, the, the battle is in the mind. And it makes me a slave to the sin within me. See, in my mind, I want to be God's servant. But instead, I find myself still enslaved to sin. It's amazing. It's all going on in my head. War and fights and slavery. There's, there's a war going on for you, within you, and it's going on in your mind It's more important than you could possibly understand. Please understand how important your thoughts and your brain and your mind are. Number three. Another reason that your mind is really important. Number three, my natural thoughts are likely wrong and lead to death. My natural thoughts are likely wrong and lead to death. Again, absolutely fascinating, the research here. This is something I have felt. I've been talking about this to my friends for years. And this week I finally found the research where I was like, oh, this is what I've experienced. Um, our natural minds, the ones that, that we were born with we, into our brokenness, the ones that weren't connected to God, right? The, the ones that don't have the mind of Christ. Those minds, those untransformed ones, look what the Bible says about them in, in Romans 8, 6. It says that mind, the mind governed by the flesh, is death. 
In 8.7, it actually goes on to say, the sinful mind, that mind, it's hostile to God. It will not submit to God's laws, nor can it. So this study this week I came upon is from uh, the psych department at the University of Chicago. To thousands of subjects, check this out, they gave pagers, beepers that go off in random intervals seven or eight times during the day. It's actually, they're actually working on this right now. A couple churches are um, piloting a paradigm called, I think it's Soul Care. You can actually sign up for this on the internet. I'm probably getting the name wrong. But they will help you, um, same thing during the day. You will write down where you are with God, what, what's going on just at that moment. They'll say, what are your circumstances? What's your connection like to God? And in a sense, helping you transform your mind. But listen to this study. To thousands of subjects, they gave pagers, beepers, and, and in random, random intervals, seven or eight times during the day, the beeper would go off, and the subject would write down what he was doing and answer questions like, what are you doing, what are you thinking, what are you feeling right now? The researchers have literally hundreds of thousands of pages of data on this. Here's one of the things they found. This is so amazing. When people are alone and not distracted by some noise or activity, just alone, no TV, no radio, no books, nobody else, their minds, their minds naturally drift towards awareness of discontentment or anger, a sense of inadequacy, anxiety about their future, chronic self-preoccupation. When people are alone and not distracted by noise or, uh, noise or activity, that's where their mind goes. That's why people generally flee from solitude. Some of you go, I like being the quiet. I like being the quiet. No, no, you don't like being the quiet. You like being the quiet with a book. You like being home watching the Mets. You don't like being thrown into a room with nothing in there because then you're not distracted, right? We talked about this. We talked about relational health. What is the worst thing that can, you can do to a prisoner? What are they now considering a form of torture? Solitary confinement, right? People hate to be alone in their minds, because your mind is a fallen organ, in a sense. All solitary confinement is that you're alone with nothing but your mind and your thoughts, and they just run through your mind. And it's apparently a verifiable fact that human beings in this world, when they're alone with their minds, their thoughts start leading towards discontentment and anxiety and fear and inadequacy and towards death. The mind of unregenerate man leads towards death. That's why television, I read this quote this week, this is why television is so addictive in our society. It's the easiest method around to distract in my mind. People don't watch TV because it's so fulfilling. Nobody gets to the end of a night of TV and says, man, that was a fabulous night. What a good life I lead. I can't wait to do this again tomorrow. How many times have you sat on the couch and said, I gotta stop doing this? And you do it again the next day. Why do we do it? Because it keeps us from having to deal with what's going on in our minds. This is exactly what Paul was getting at when he says in Ephesians 4.17, With the Lord's authority I say this to you, don't live any longer as the Gentiles do because they are hopelessly confused. That's a strong verse. Their thinking leads them towards death. Conversely, Conversely, point number four. Conversely, transformation begins with my mind and leads to life and peace. The Bible's teaching that if you, your old thoughts, they're toxic, they lead to death. What do we do? 
Ephesians 4, 22 to 23. Here's why, if, you, if you're sitting there this morning going, this sounds too practical, it's not spiritual enough, I, 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 there is a truth to that. We need to connect to Christ. But listen to what, for real deep transformation. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 22 to 23. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. A new mind, a managed mind, a transformed mind, a mind with a new attitude, a new bent, a clean filter leads to a different kind of life. Because he goes on to say in Romans 8, 6, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You have two choices. What are you thinking about? One path leads, the path that would be normal leads to, to enslavement and death. And the other one leads to life and peace. Now, Hopefully you're getting around, your minds around this. Your thoughts matter. And if you're going to change, the battle for your, for your soul is being played out in your mind. So how do you transform the way you think? Yes, I need to change. I, I, my thoughts are bad. How do I change it? Here's Paul, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, they have divine power... Okay, so there's the spiritual nature of this. They have the power of God to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, listen, this is the active part. This is where you and I can do this. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The first way to transform your mind is you have to understand you have a choice in this matter. Don't just keep praying that God would change the way you think. You know what you need to do? You need to change the way you think. And I do too. We need to take some responsibility for our thoughts. What does Paul say? Number one, you need to take every thought captive. You and I have strongholds in our minds. We have patterns and ruts and well-grooved out places of historic thought where we've come to believe things are true at very, very deep levels. And Paul's saying, listen, you've got a lot of thoughts that are coming through that head on that wire. They're running through your brain. But when these thoughts come into your mind, don't just listen to them. Don't just accept them. Don't just let them run wild in your head. Stop. Stop. Grab a hold of the thought. Hold it up and reflect on what's being said to you for a moment and say, is this really true? We have lots of strongholds. They're built up over years. These strongholds are, in a sense, the filters we run our experiences and thoughts through. If you were here for, for the relational um, uh, talk, we, sh- we showed you the filter. Some of these things are easily seen. You see them. Some of them not so. I had a friend. See, these, these strongholds that we get in our minds, this is what leads to death, spiritually and even physically. I had a friend, a very good friend that had a, a daughter that um, got uh, anorexia. And his daughter was wasting away to nothing. And he did everything he could. He was flying around the country, putting her in camps. And his daughter would continue the same anorexic habits. Because when she looked in the mirror, what did she see? A fat person. But it was not true. See, the thoughts that are running through your brain, just because you think that's true, doesn't mean it's true. You get strongholds that built up, and oftentimes there's spiritual power behind those strongholds. So you start to believe a very certain way. She was very, very sure that she was heavy. 
As I was reading, uh, studying for this this week, I, I came across um, uh, somebody talking about this concept and relating it to the movie A Beautiful Mind. Have you, anybody seen A Beautiful Mind? You haven't seen A Beautiful Mind? It is a, it is a haunting story. I, I said to Joan when we went to bed that night, she's like, what's the matter? And I'm like, that movie is really bothering me. And she said, well, it's because you're dealing with your emotions for the first time in your life. <laughs> and I said, there's some truth to that, right? If you haven't seen A Beautiful Mind, this, you can see this played out, okay? But um, the story of a guy named John Nash at Princeton, a brilliant guy. If you look up John Nash, you'll see all his theories that have changed everything around the world. He, he was brilliant beyond belief. But John Nash also heard voices in his head. He had thoughts that weren't just thoughts. They seemed so true to him. But they were irrational. They were lies. It, it, they seemed so real to them. They fed into all his stuff. They made him feel important. But yet they played on his darkest fears. And when he listened to them, it destroyed his whole life. It destroyed his relationships. It distorted his perceptions. It shipwrecked his career. They made him obsessive. They made him terrified. They led to death. He's a brilliant guy with a fabulous mind, and it took him years to learn something, to test the voices. If you've seen this movie, you'll see there's certain places where he starts testing if what he's seeing and hearing is actually there or not. He's saying, in a sense, I am going to take this thought captive, and I am not going to let it just run through my mind. I'm going to stop and look at this. I'm going to take it captive. There's one line in the movie, he had to learn to not listen to these, these characters. There was a college roommate that never existed. There was a, like an FBI guy that never existed. There was a little girl that never existed. And he, they're, 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 they're calling to him all the time. They're walking with him. And he had to start to take these things captive and say, it might not be true. His quote in the movie, one line, it's, John Nash says this, quote, I've gotten used, listen to, to, to this. Okay, take every thought captive. John Nash said, I've gotten used to ignoring them. And as a result, I think they're giving up on me. Change the way you think. His battle is a battle every one of us has. Paul says that's why we take every thought captive. We don't let everything into our head and believe everything that comes through. We don't just let everything run right through and develop a stronghold in our lives. Listen, these these things are powerful. These strongholds that get a hold of you. Men, some of you know, right? Like, we, I've talked about this in my own life. I'm 47 years old, but there's somehow I'm still try, trying to please my daddy. I have seen men's lives shipwrecked by this father disapproval more than any other thing. Brilliant men, wealthy men, who wind up divorced without kids in illicit relationships all because they had this thing in their head that kept telling them, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I've got to do better, I've got to achieve more. It's a stronghold. It needs to get torn down. It, you don't, you're not the boss at work. You have a wonderful career. You're vice president of Merrill Lynch, but there's a president. So because the stronghold tells you I'm not a success because I'm not the president. It's not true. Ladies, I have two daughters. You know what bothers me more about these strongholds that get developed in ladies' and women's minds? Is the whole world keeps communicating to my little girls that their whole value is summed up in the way they look. Over and over again, it just keeps getting communicated to my daughters. All that matters is how you look. I do it, and I communicate to them. When they come down in the morning, what do I say? You look beautiful. And it builds up strongholds in our minds. Courtney comes home from school a lot, and, you know, she goes to uh, Montclair State, and there's a lot of good things in Montclair State, and there's a lot of bad things in Montclair State, and 
some of the bad things when she comes home, she's like, well, you know, there's this girl and she's, she's working over at, at this go-go place or whatever. And every time I ask her this question, I, this, it, it, I know this is not every time, okay, I know that. But almost every time I say, does that girl have a father? The answer is almost no. Every time, no, she doesn't she talk to her dad in years. So she's going to go get the attention of men somewhere else. These are powerful forces in our lives that get us to think the wrong way and lead to death. Paul says, you've got to grab hold of that thought. Take it captive. Make it submit to the truth of what Christ says you are. There's a battle, man. It's going on in your head. Let me give you a couple of specifics and then we'll be done. Here's a couple of specific ways very specific. You'll see the science behind this next week. What happens when you do these things? Different lights go off in your brain, like we talked about in the beginning. Okay? The first thing is you need to guard your mind against trash. You need to guard your mind against trash. If you think I'm making that, that up, understand in the, in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, oftentimes the word mind is translated heart. In fact, this exact word here uh, that I'm about to show you in another place is translated mind. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, above all else, could you imagine the writer of Proverbs, this book of wisdom saying here, listen, I've written a lot of wisdom in this book, but I want you to understand something. Above everything else, guard your mind. Don't let stuff just flow through it. Watch what you put into it. I've told you this story before. When I was a kid, I worked at a gas station. We never cursed in my house. It was not because we were spiritual people, but for some reason, my parents never cursed, so we never cursed. And so I started working at a gas station. And there was, there was some rough boys at the gas station, and a gentle boy like John was there. And, and over time, uh, you know, my vocabulary started to sound very much like the rough boys. And that came out a couple times at home. And my mom's like, where are you getting this from? And I'm like, I just hang around these guys. Because they were putting that in my head all the time. And so it started to come out. I have another friend, a very good friend. He's got a stuttering problem. If I hang around, Joan knows I used to come home from work. And she'd say, you were hanging out with John Allen today. Look, there goes John. Erase that from the tape. (laughs) John stuttered. And he was my best friend. So when I hung out with John, I'd start stuttering. Because what you're putting into your mind is having an impact on you. If you think I made that verse up, or that, that, ta- that, that last point up, Proverbs 15, 14, a wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Watch what you put in your brain, even things you don't think are necessarily evil. Look, you can put junk food into your stomach. Junk food, you know, you can eat lots of junk food. It's not helping you. And it eventually, it's going to shorten your life. It's the same thing with your brain. You can put lots of junk food into your brain. You can watch all that stuff all day long. But if you think what you're watching is not, if you think what you're reading, and, and this doesn't have to be, like I'm not just talking about, you know, I can't even talk about some of the stuff that you can put in your head now, right? I'm talking about even things like um, political shows. I had a friend that would watch this one political show I'm not, this is neither left nor right. He would just watch this one political show all the time. And he would call me in an absolute panic all the time. Just completely panicked. And I'm going, will you, will you please stop watching that? Right? Because it, he was putting into his heart, into his mind, things that just weren't true. Just because some guy said it on TV doesn't mean it's true. 
Okay, next. Here's how you can, here's, here's the, the first part is you've got to stop putting bad things into your mind. And some of those bad things aren't necessarily even things that are just bad. They might be junk food that eventually catches up and kills you. Next thing, you need to renew your mind. You need to prioritize. You need to prioritize. You should underline prioritize too. You need to prioritize the time to think about things above. Paul goes, listen, you want to know what you should do with your minds? Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We, Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Do you see the, how, how strong these are? You know, above all else, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about those things, the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Now, if you're like me, maybe, maybe hopefully you're not, but if you're like me, when I've read those verses before, in fact, Philippians 4, we handed out a card about a year or two ago, and, and my wife and my daughter have that card stuck on, on the dashboards of our car when I get in there, think, you know, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever, think about these things. I, I have it on my computer, right? But when I've read that in the past, it's kind of come through to me like, oh, don't, put, don't think about bad things. Don't think about bad things. Only, only don't set your eyes on bad things. That's why I put it on my computer, right? Because where do men get tempted to look at bad things? On their computer. So these verses have always communicated to me, don't think about bad things. That's not what that verse is telling you. That's not what that verse is telling you. That verse has nothing to do with not thinking about bad things. Neither of those last two verses. Those verses are saying if you want to change, you need to start thinking about good things. You need to start thinking about things of a different kingdom. If you want to renew your brain, if you want to renew the way you think, our minds, our thoughts, it's necessary to prioritize time in your life to think about a different kingdom. This is why the MRIs aren't coming back now, and they're showing there's a difference in the brains of people who focus on Scripture. There's a difference in the brains of people who pray a lot. You see, this is actually a very tangible teaching point. You need to think about the right things. Science is showing us now the picture of the battle in our brains. But in order to engage in the battle, you've got to bathe your mind in truth. You've got to set your mind on things above. You need to feed it on God's word. You need to set time away with God. You need to go on walks with God. You need to focus on thoughts and patterns of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of the world. When a thought comes into your brain... Right? And it commu- communicates something to you about a lack of self-worth or a lack of value. You need to immediately, I'll show you the, the pictures of this in your brain next week. You need to counteract that thought and build up another structure in your brain that says that's not true. I, here's, this is why we, we memorize Bible verses. That's not true. I'm a beloved child of God. I'm an adopted son or daughter of God. He sent his son for me. That's not true. And the science shows you can see the different things going on in your life, going on in your brain that's building a different tree of thought in your brain. It's absolutely fascinating. When vengeance comes to mind, what do I do? When it says think about things above, it's not saying think about you know, God floating around on a, a, a cloud with a harp. It's saying think about things of the other kingdom. When you think about vengeance, think about turning the other cheek. When jealousy comes to mind, you battle it with thoughts of contentment, with prayers of thanksgiving. It's not just about stopping the bad things. It's about soaking your brain in different truths. Setting your minds on things above. And lastly, there's this. You need to check your thoughts and open your minds. 
The church for generations has been telling its people to close their minds. Be a very closed-minded people. I'm telling you, you need to check your thoughts and open your mind. Again, just as we said earlier with our emotions, right? Many of the things that you think are true are not true. How, how many people, if you're 40 and over, how many people who are 40 and over have something significant in their lives that they think totally different about now than they thought when they were 20? See this, young people? There are so many things in my life that I was so darn sure about, I would argue the window, you know, forever, until the window shut on me with people about certain things that I now go, boy, what an idiot I was. What I notice for so many of us is we have certain worldviews or political views or religious views and we're just not open to changing our minds about them. And, and if you go, well, well, I shouldn't change my mind about a religious view, well, let me ask you a question. Do you think, you're, are you certain your theology is 100% right? 100%? You have no errors in your theology? Well, none of us have our theology 100% right. None of us. So we have to be open to hearing what other people would say to us and go, you know, I never thought about that that way. I had certain predispositions. I had certain things that were told to me. Maybe that's not totally true. I've got to look at this. I've got to study God's word a little bit about this more. I've got to hear what other voices have to say about this. Of course, the word of God being the most important thing. The thoughts of our natural minds are confused. Even if you think every thought you have is informed by Christ, then you're a much better Christian than I am. Every thought I have that runs through my mind is not informed by Christ. A lot of them are coming out of my broken nature. A lot of them are coming out of things my parents told me when I was a little boy. A lot of them are coming out of things my friends told me, or pop culture told me, or the last news channel I watched. They're all in my mind as deep-rooted truths. The older I get, the more I realize... I'm, I'm 47. I'm starting to think I don't know what the heck it is I'm talking about on anything, which isn't the best thing to say from a pastoral point of view. But you start, you know what I mean? You get a little older, you start going, things aren't always as black and white as I thought they were when I was 20. There's some shades of gray out there that I need to, I, I think God wants us to, 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 to wrestle with these things. We need to open our minds up to these things. We need to not think that every thought we have is 100% right. I'm the only one that knows anything. I need to be open to having my mind changed because what matters is not what I think. What matters is not what I believe. How many times has the argument ended with somebody? Well, that's what I think or that's what I believe. What matters is the truth because the Bible says that God is a God of truth and that all truth, no matter where it's found, comes from him. Open your mind to the thought that you might not be the possessor of all of the world's truths. That's when you'll grow. So, band, come on up. There's only... Two steps, if you've been around this series, there's two steps essentially to every one of these problems. One is to abide in Christ. One is to connect to Christ. One is to let Christ live in you and through you. And the other is this. This is the last point. You need to do it together. You need to wrestle with truths and thoughts and convictions and beliefs together. This is why we need each other so much. This is why it's so important that you guys come out here on a snowy day and not just stay home. This is, this is the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. What's the underlying thought there? We need to help each other think correctly. We need to build each other up because somebody's making me think a different way. We need to encourage one another. Why? Because somebody was discouraging me, getting me to think a different way. God's people need to think differently. We need to help each other do that. Now, sometimes thinking differently also, by the way, means this. Ephesians 4, 15. 
Speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ. Sometimes we need other people to tell us the truth because we believe in a lie about ourselves or about others or about life. Who's checking your thinking? Who's checking your thinking? Who's going to change your mind if all you do is watch the same channel in your house every night and read the same writers every day? Who's going to change your mind? Sometimes we need a friend to help us see or feel something that left to ourselves we wouldn't. There's no greater truth than this. As a man thinketh, so shall he be. Father, would you open up our eyes to understand the incredible importance of our minds and our thoughts. Would you give us the spiritual power that Paul talked about to demolish the strongholds that exist, an ability to not let things run loose through our heads, but to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ so that we can actually change. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.